So today I welcome Luca on the show. Thanks to have accepted my invitation. My pleasure, Martin. So Luca, if you should resume your path in three minutes, how you will do that? Yeah, so I'm Luca. I'm a software engineer, basically, as a background. So I've always been um, an employee with a nine-to-five job. Uh, about three years ago, around 2019, um, something changed in my mind. So I decided that I wanted to build my own products. And I would say that I followed the usual um, first startup founder journey. So a lot of big mistakes. So I built my first product for two years um, in the dark, let's say, on the side. So with not a lot of validation, not building an audience and so on. So after a couple of years uh, building this product in a duo, so I was with a former colleague, we launched on Product Hunt and we got 70 upvotes. So that's when we realized that there was something not really working well in what we did. So I opened Twitter and I discovered a word. So this huge indie hacking movement and I started learning a lot of stuff and from other uh, entrepreneurs and solopreneurs and indie hackers. So I realized that uh, I needed um, a distribution channel, uh, potentially even more. Um, and then I had to start investing time on building one as soon as possible, because it probably was the most important investments you can do as, a, as an entrepreneur. So in 2021, I started being active on Twitter uh, daily and posting content and trying to grow my, my audience, basically. Yeah. And by using Twitter, I noticed that there were many uh, things that could be improved uh, on the platform. And I'm a developer, so I know that um, it's possible to develop apps. And so at the end of 2021, uh, I started building a product around Twitter DMs. Uh, which is called Hivoy, and it's uh, <clears throat> it's live, it's uh, it's there. And um, recently, I launched a second product, still around Twitter DMs. Um, so this is very very briefly my my journey. I still have my nine to five job, and on the side, I'm working on uh, interactive and engaging with a lot of people on Twitter, and try to grow my two products. Okay, thanks. Thanks for this presentation. Um, that's interesting because, uh, in your story at the beginning, you say like, uh, you decided to build the project three years ago, but you didn't quit. You still had your job the whole time, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. So, uh, yeah, the, the reason that? why is that I'm, I'm not that young. So yeah, I have some, some expenses to cover. So, uh, um, so I'm still waiting to get a reasonable amount of uh, MRR before you know, switching to full-time indie hacking, which is, of course, my dream. Uh, because now it is a way of working, you know, for a company and most of your time is dedicated in improving a product and make someone else happy. So like the founders yeah. and the stakeholders, basically, is something that, I mean, I don't want to invest my time this way, right? I want to invest time on building and growing my own products and my own stuff. So, yeah, I'm still in, in this mode, let's say, so nine to five and trying to, to make the switch. So 
how many like hours a week you can dedicate to your to your side project if mm. you are that's a good question so i try to leverage mornings as as much as i can so before starting working on my nine to five i try to dedicate at least one or two hours to my projects okay. um and then of course after at the end of the day of course so let's say a couple of hours per day Okay, so, so you, like but, you wake up at six to work for your your side project. I'm not that good. I wake up at seven seven thirty. <laughs> okay, and hopefully I have a full remote job, so I don't have commuting. I so I, I don't waste okay, a lot of yeah. time in commuting. And uh, yes, makes sense. That's that's something um, like uh, I was always like uh, curious about because. Uh, I feel like building a product is is very like time consuming, and, and when you have a job in the same time, that's also time consuming. So it's hard to manage to build both uh, properly. But uh, th- that's that's interesting. And why you didn't switch to something like freelancing? Yeah, I know that it's um, let's say um, a step you can do in between, you know, a full time yeah. job and full time indie hacking. But I think that my difficulties will be to um time box uh what i i would need to do uh with clients um and it's something that i never did in my life so i'm pretty sure that i would not be good at doing it at the beginning so i i yeah. will waste some time so i am thinking to stay with the with the job at the moment and then switch to full time indie hacking so not not intermediate step <laughs> Uh, other interesting question: How many, how much MRR you have now, and how much you need to switch? Yes. So at the moment, with the two products, I'm generating around uh, 1,400 euros per month. It is steadily growing every month, so I'm very optimistic about it. Um, I set the target to 5k MRR before switching, but it's something that I continuously reevaluate. <laughs> okay, but like uh, to the to the up way or down way, like uh, you change it. I would say I don't know yet. Down down way probably. <laughs> okay, so you're, because you're I know feeling that I mean, more I, and more ready to switch. Yes, because I have so many things in my mind that I I would like to put in place to grow my products, but that I don't have time to do that. Right, and this is very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, I understand. I understand. And and did you have imagined to, for example, um, ask your work to work only four days a week? Yeah, I mean that's a, that's eventually an option, but uh, I don't think my current company is gonna evaluate it. Another possibility is to ask for a part-time uh, job, right? So to reduce yeah. your amount of hours. Yeah, I yeah. could think about it. I, I don't know. Let's see. When I was doing the podcast in French, I, I had uh, many people in your case, but with less MRR. And uh, that was the, the first uh, recommendation I was giving. It's like, uh, say to your boss, you want to quit or uh, work uh, four days a week for the same salary. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and often they say yes. <laughs> because they don't, they, don't, yeah, they don't have to pay you more. So it doesn't feel like they're they putting more money out. And mm-hmm. they just believe you're going to do the work better. Uh, if you can prove them so you can do it in four days and then you have a, a new day uh, for shipping your project yeah that, that's smart that's smart it's a good technique <laughs> <laughs> 
like a bit pushy, but uh, I mean, yes, that's <laughs> that that can work. So I I tend to have this kind of uh, way of being pushy a bit sometimes. Otherwise, I felt like it took me years to to grow in a certain way. While uh, sometimes, if you can uh, have a bigger pay part of the cake, uh, that's work better for yourself. So. That's true. I'm That's true. I'm curious uh, for the people who listen to us if uh, some of them have think to that or have uh, have done that. Uh, you can uh, tell me on Twitter about that. Would be interesting to discuss about it. Um, I, I'm wondering, like, uh, about your first product. What, what was your first product? You you did work on it two years. Yes. So it was a kind of um, loom. So Loom is this is very popular. It's a product to record the screen and yeah. um, share it later on with uh, whoever needs it. So it was very similar to that one. It was um, basically a Chrome extension to record your screen. But the difference is that you could add uh, comments to your recording, uh, highlight specific portions of the frame and add a comment and start a thread. Very similar mm. to Slack, let's say. And um, there was, of course, also a web application where you could consume the recording and add comments and so on. It was very, very, very nice and very interesting. Uh, we were very good at execution. Um, but I look at this product as, I mean, two issues. The first one is that you need to involve a lot of people, right? Because our use case scenario was, uh, for instance, a development team of a company, yeah. of a product company that involves the UX and UI designers, the product owner, and the developers. And all of them need to have an efficient way to share feedback between, between them, basically. And this tool was super effective at doing it. But again, you need to involve a lot of people. And this team is usually part of a company. Yeah. And also, the company needs to agree on using this kind of product and tool, right? So it was a bit difficult to, to sell it. And the other thing is that it's more um, a vitamin product. It's not really a painkiller. So sometimes you receive the feedback, no, we are just good sharing uh, screenshots on Slack and talking yeah. about it. it. It was just enough for them. Um, so yeah, it was, it was, it was difficult to, to grow definitely. Uh, but the good thing is that after the product hunt launch, that was not super successful, uh, we got noticed by one person that, uh, connected us with an Italian startup and they actually, um, they were interested in, in buying the product. So in September, September, 2021, we were able to, to sell it. Uh, with zero MRR, and uh, so it was not a huge deal, but it was a good exit for us. <laughs> That's cool. <laughs> That's cool to, to have yes. been able to do that. So they, they keep... Um, the other company who, who did uh, buy it, uh, still, uh, like, uh, they, they promote the product or they have integrated the technology in their product? Well, it's still there. It's standalone. Um, okay. so it's live is there, uh, so it's not super integrated, but they're using it because they have a business around user testing. 
um, and they didn't have a very um, a product like this to to collect feedback and so on. So it was very useful to add this product to their portfolio for them. Okay, interesting. So because you posted on Producton, that's how you get the connection with the guy who connect you to the to the startup who need you for your product. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So this is the big lesson to to show up in in public and uh, yeah. yeah, because uh, you you don't know which effects an opportunity can could come just by uh, knowing and showing your products and what you are doing. That is then the base of the building public, uh, let's say, movement. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. That's something I, I am also learning right now. Uh, like a few days ago, I think the last week, I got contacted by uh, Absumo. I don't know if you know them. Yes. And uh, and because they saw they show they they have seen my product on Twitter, so that's why they contacted me. I was like, you know, I, uh, very surprised about that. So that's very cool. And uh, I will have the meeting today, and uh, let's see uh, where it's going. But that's very interesting to see, like how the by showing up to the world, uh, you have some results like unexpected. You didn't think. Like some people find a co-founder, some others find a way to sell. It's very, very interesting. Yes, it is absolutely. <laughs> so, in uh, when when you saw uh, uh, Twitter, like was something for indie makers, and and how did you learn about like you need a distribution channel because your product didn't got uh, users, or you saw something like a formation. Uh, tweet. Yeah, to be honest, I don't remind exactly. Why we realized that? I think that we it was very spontaneous that we noticed that the successful products on Product Hunt uh, probably they were that successful. I mean, not not uh, every time for the quality of the product per se or something special, but it, because they had a big newsletter, for instance, or a big following. Uh, on social platforms and, and so on. So we, we just realized that we that was something that we needed. I don't know how that happened. It was very uh, organical. I don't know. Uh, okay. Yeah. And then I've used Twitter. I start, I, I open, opened my account in twenty in 2009. So it's very old. And what I was using the platform in a very different way to interact with local people and meet new new people, right? And then okay. I stopped using it for, I don't know, 12 years, something like that. But it's a platform I always enjoyed using. So um, I, I took it back, I opened my account, and uh, I started exploring and looking at content and things around. And just, I found some amazing building Hindi hackers and uh, like Arvid Kahl, for instance, or uh, Simon Hoiberg, um, yeah. Tony Dean, of course. And I've learned a lot about their approach. Uh, and there's a lot of content if you look for it. Um, so I read a couple of books from Arvid. So the Embedded Entrepreneur book was really inspirational for me because it describes, describes very well his approach and uh, the building, building public uh, attitude. Yeah. I will uh, probably have him in the podcast at one point <laughs> <laughs> to talk about that. Um, okay, very interesting. I think uh, uh, the link of all the makers you have put uh, will be in the description. I have to put a reminder 
uh, here. I can do a reminder in the video. So I will be able to do that. Um, on the other things you told me, there are, there are things I think I am interesting about. Um, currently, you you have two products on Twitter. Uh, I'm interesting about how you got the the idea of the first product and how you got the first client. Two questions. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting uh, question because. The idea came because um, I noticed that many big accounts were talking about Twitter DMs as a very powerful and effective tool on the platform to create meaningful relationships with, with people and create, you know, connections and human interactions. Um, so I wanted to find a way to leverage Twitter DMs much, much more. Uh, I was not using them at all, to be honest. Um, so I came up with this idea of uh, a very, very small feature. It was a welcome message DM for my new followers. So people uh, were interested in my content. I was sending them automatically a welcome message DM saying, hey, thanks for the follow. Um, what are you working on? Something like that. So I would like to know my audience much more and the people following me. The interesting thing is that uh, my first client actually was a person that asked to pay for the service, even if I didn't uh, integrate any payment, payment. processor uh, service yet. So I didn't have Stripe or Paddle in place. And he wanted to be supportive and, uh, and pay for the service anyway. So I told him, wait, wait a couple of days, let me integrate something <laughs> and then I'll let you pay for the service. <laughs> I got the same um, the same feedback when I was building uh, Capgo. I released it as an open source product, and then I built a website to be able to manage it. It was easier, and people were asking the support. I don't understand where we pay. <laughs> there are no payment right now because I didn't build it. <laughs> yeah, that's a good feedback anyway because uh, it means that they find value in your product, right? Oh yeah, yeah, definitely for me it's uh, it's like a, a proof of your product market fit. People believe like this is so good and uh, where, why they didn't pay for that. <laughs> so and and they didn't just have the question from themselves, like they got enough uh, the question strong like they want to ask the founder or, like by email or like it's very engaging to do that. So for me it's uh, it's a huge signal you're going to some good direction and uh, and you can see it now like uh, your product is growing in mine as well so it's, it's probably uh, uh, probably the case so your first product is just about uh, dm automation right um yes it's about uh, dm automation yes can you, can you uh, and uh, and outreach yeah. it's called hivoe H-I-V-O-E. <laughs> okay. It's a fantasy we name. Mean, it doesn't mean, mean anything if you wanted to ask. <laughs> 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 yes. And so the, the welcome message uh, feature is still there. Um, plus, you can organize campaigns to contact uh, potential uh, leads. Um, and there is the giveaway automation as well, which is a feature that I particularly like. Uh, giveaways are those kind of tweets in which you you give something for free to your to your audience. It could be yeah. whatever, a notion guide and so on. Uh, 
and uh, and you say just reply to this tweet and I will send you the link to the guide uh, via DMs. And uh, the sending of the DMs is completely automated. And oh, it's, a, cool. it's a really time saver. And it's still working even with the new API pricing of uh, Elon Musk? <laughs> this is a kind of, uh, of journey because they announced that they will add pricing for the Twitter APIs. Uh, yeah. The first deadline was the 9th of February. Now we are at the 14th of February and they continuously postpone um, to to put okay. the, the new price in live. So yeah, we don't know yet. Probably it's going to be 100 um, euros per month or dollars per month, something like this to access the, the Twitter APIs. But there are no details yet, so I don't know. Okay. Interesting uh, approach. Are you afraid about uh, making product on Twitter because of that? The big change uh, they announced? It's uh, it's the so-called platform risk, right? So when yeah. you start building a product based on a platform, there is always this big risk because you don't know how the platform will evolve, how they will change um, the behavior of the Twitter APIs and, and so on. So this risk is always present. So there's something that is always in my mind and so at the moment, I'm focusing on these products that are Twitter related, but in the future, for sure, I'd like to have something that mitigates these risks. So it's no yeah. more a platform related or related to another platform and so on. So I'm able to mitigate the risks a lot. Okay. So you, you, in a way, like this is a strategy, a starting strategy, it's easier to build on a platform and then uh, uh, get away from platform or do a product outside of it. Absolutely. Um, also because at the moment there is a good compounding or good loop, let's say, because I'm building a, a notice on Twitter. My yeah. products are Twitter related. So of course they, they feed each other, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. I can, uh, I can see the relation that it was a problem for me. For example, I'm on Twitter in Gmaker stuff since an eternity. But um, I was I was building like uh, in French before I was sharing in French, while my clients are in English. So it wasn't like uh, like I was growing one things on one side and one things on the other side, and it wasn't matching up. So I decided to switch in English last year, I think, when uh, my product started to grow. Uh, like I have a decent grow, and and now that's uh, I have the. I feel this combination as you, like when people see my work, then like, oh, and they become a client. But before it wasn't the case. So I think that's, that's something important for indie makers, especially it's like, you cannot have canals, channels who are very different, like, and, and necessitate a different effort to converge at one point. Like you have to have something very close by, like, um, for example, the biggest part of my marketing of CapGo is on uh, GitHub because my tool is a tool for developers. So it's where the developers are. And Twitter is a path, but it's still a tiny path. And uh, and, and you see like uh, what I was trying to, to share. It's like I, I cannot put so much effort on Twitter because the, the effort to get someone from Twitter to my product is still harder than uh, in the channel, which is nearest. Uh, in interest uh, as GitHub, so I I really think like that's something hard to see uh, for makers and for marketing in general, 
to really find channel which will be very easy for you to provide value on and then get client from. That's uh, that's absolutely true. Um, and also I think there is um, there is something that is not super optimized, let's say, because for instance, uh, of course I do build in public on Twitter, right? Yeah. And most of the people that are interested in my content are other startup founders or aspiring uh, indie hackers and so on that are not uh, the perfect target uh, audience for my products. They might be quite rich, different. So there's not the a perfect, perfect match. Yes, the the perfect match. There's yeah. not a perfect overlapping between my Twitter audience and the, um, the customers of my products. Um, while there are other Twitter accounts that uh, the content they are posting and the strategy they talk about is 100% related to the service that they sell. So, for instance, I don't know if you um, provide services in marketing. Of course, you talk about marketing. So, you attract people interested in, in improving the marketing side and you sell also marketing services. So, in that case, it's perfect. Yeah. But for SaaS founders, it's, it's a bit different. Yeah, I, I definitely think like uh, Twitter is like a, it's a good channel, but it's a bit indirect channel still because you're going to attract like uh, solo makers as you. So probably in your price tier, it will be the, the cheapest price. So it means the, the effort you put to get a client, it's, uh, compared to revenue, it's not so good. Like, for example, my biggest price tier in um, Capgo is 500 euro a month. So I'm definitely like uh, trying to find a way to have more effort on them. And uh, this pricing uh, than the 14 euro a month. Uh, because the the the, the, um, the interest um, on back is is way uh, more interesting. I mean, like five hundred to 15, fourteen euro a month. I think to reach the same, I have to. Yeah, it's like in five years, the first plan will be the same as one month of the biggest plan. So definitely um, uh, important to to choose uh, wisely. So for you, where yes. is the, your target audience for your biggest pricing, for example? Um, there are probably small, uh, small, small agencies or, um, yeah. or even startups that are a bit more structured and have more, uh, more money to spend in, in outreach, for instance. So there, there's a variety of, of, uh, of users and, and personas about those spending more money are, yeah or copywriters even, uh, because they look for, continuously look for, for new clients. So copywriters and freelancers are a good, good target as well. Okay. And, and wh where do you find them then? If, if it's not Twitter, the best place, where, what's the best place for you? I, I already, I still need to, to figure it out, to be honest, to find a, yeah, the, the, the right process to, to find them effectively. So at the moment they found, they, they find me basically through Twitter, uh, okay. probably run randomly, uh, you know, networking effect, uh, on the platform. So I think at, at the moment is, um, uh, the, the kind the current flow is that one. In fact, the, the growth is, is steady, as I said. So the, the most, like, uh, people find you by Twitter, but you feel this is not the, the most, uh, like, uh, performing channel still. You can find better one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Absolutely. That's interesting. For me, like, um, uh, what I am trying to build right now is to have an email list of uh, potential clients. Uh, I've uh, discovered a way to get this email uh, very easily because I am a developer. So I find a way to scrap email and I will try to contact them in, in direct to have a, a direct contact uh, with them because same, like, if I'm doing a Twitter post or, or GitHub, uh, like, project, uh, plugin, uh, whatever, it's still like indirect. People find me like a bit uh, randomly and like, oh, that's interesting. So I, I try to to find a direct connection, and that's uh, that's uh, e called uh, called outreach email. Uh, what I will try to do now. But it felt a bit like um, you know, like the the old marketing way. Uh, I don't know, like, I have a judgment about that. I don't feel comfortable doing it. I don't know if you see what I mean. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, I completely relate to that. In <laughs> fact, I think that the, the most effective technique probably is to, um, to, to find more details about that person, to understand if that person is the right um, target for your product. I mean that they can get value out of your product. Yeah. And at that point, when, when you know that because you studied uh, a bit uh, that person, what they're talking about and posting in public, you can reach out to them with a really customized uh, message, of course, because you know quite well that, that person. And uh, I think that this approach gives the best, the best results. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm going to try, uh, for, for my product. Like, I found a way to get emails of, uh, developers teams. So, uh, Capgo, it's a tool for developers. So I find a way to get the email of developer teams, uh, because they publish app on the Play Store. And, uh, when you publish an app, you have a email uh, to the developer team available publicly. So I find a way to get this email and also to check into the app if they use the technology necessary like which is my target audience so with that i made a script <laughs> to to scrap basically the whole uh, google play store so now i have uh, 3000 email i think something like that almost 4000 which is exact my target audience so i have to try that and uh, and see how that's uh, that's work but that's pretty difficult when like especially when you are a developer and you don't come from a marketing uh, point of view like it seems very like uh, hardcore understanding this uh, this path but mm -hmm. uh, i really believe like uh, that's the only way uh, by doing some things you know nothing about you will learn and that's how you're gonna grow because marketing is uh, there are no products who work without marketing could could have been my dream but it doesn't exist <laughs> but yeah there are some different form of marketing who works, but it definitely always marketing at one point. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that probably at the beginning um, of the journey of your product, it's very important to to spend a lot of time even using not scalable methodologies, like looking actively looking for people to reach out and talk about your product, because you still need to understand what are the main pains and issues you need to solve for them. So you need to talk yeah. a lot with them to understand what they really need and how they describe uh, their issues. Because the way they talk to you 
it's perfect for your copy on your landing page, right? Because you can write sentences that relate a lot and resonate a lot with uh, with your right audience. So yeah, I yeah. think that especially at the beginning, you need to go through this non-scalable process, uh, but to improve a lot the, the product. Yeah, definitely. That's uh, something I'm thinking to do right now. It's uh, um, I don't want to reach like uh, send an automated email of uh, 4,000 people. I want to send like uh, uh, my goal is to be able to send an email a day, uh, like slightly personalized to every team on my list to try to build a relationship with them and uh, and see like having their word and not try to, to just tell them, hey, buy that. Just like building a relationship with them, and then uh, maybe at one point they will be, oh, th that's an interesting product. I will, I will um, buy it. And and which is cool, it's uh, uh, currently I have also segmentation in the email list. It's like I have the size of the app download, so I can know in which pricing tier they are, basically if they subscribe. So that's also an interesting uh, point. It's like I can focus on the biggest one to create like longer relationship and maybe on the lowest um, like uh, the, the app who have lower download to just send them a simple email uh, more showing the solution quickly because I have less time to invest with them uh, to, to make it uh, uh, working <laughs> but yeah that's that's an interesting strategy so you you have like um, do you have um, acquisition channel on Google as well or it's very like only on Twitter currently I'm focused only on Twitter also because my my time is really limited my available time is super limited yeah. so I'm focused on Twitter because I see it's the channel that is working uh, better at the moment um, yeah I have some organic traffic coming from Google search engines is it's not big yet um, but I nef definitely need to invest more time in, in producing more content, uh, more guides, more uh, knowledge base um, on the product. Uh, but it's time consuming. So okay, uh, very interesting. I think we can go to my uh, to my list of questions as well. Uh, do you have another project uh, you're thinking to build in the future? I I think first we should talk to about your second project. What yeah. is the second project? The second project is um is called Inboxes without the E, Inboxes. <laughs> and okay. um the current the current uh, shape of the product is that it is basically a Twitter DMs uh productivity inbox and um light CRM, let's say. Um it's super effective because I find that the Twitter DMs on Twitter are very difficult to manage. So um, you can miss conversations and messages very easily. Uh, you don't have a lot of functionalities that are the very base for every chatting uh, messaging application. Uh, and so I wanted to improve to improve this side of the of the platform. So I built this application that adds a lot of productivity features uh, so you can finally mark a conversation as unread you have unlimited pins you have an archive so you can archive if you like the inbox zero approach you can archive conversations and keep it very clean 
Um, you can add reminders in case you need to follow up on a conversation in, I don't know, uh, one day, wow. next week, next month, and so on. So it's perfect for <laughs> yeah, it's perfect for people trying to you know uh, try to sail sail or follow ups are very important in general because we are all very busy and it might happen that the first message doesn't hit the doesn't get the, the attention of the other person so following up is very is very important um, yeah. then you get quick replies so you can create a set of uh, common replies that you can uh, send just using a shortcut um, yeah that's that's pretty much it i think uh, the interesting uh, thing is that you can give access to your Twitter DMs inbox also to other people. So if you have a virtual assistant, if you have a team of sales um, salesperson, um, you can give them access to your Twitter DMs inbox because you sign up using a Google account and then you connect your Twitter accounts, even more than one. So I have three Twitter accounts linked in my inbox because I have my personal Twitter account and the two Twitter accounts, one for HiveOE and one for inboxes. So I don't miss any message anymore because I have all the conversations for the three accounts in one place. And uh, I have some clients that have virtual assistants, so they give access yeah. to their Twitter inbox to them and their virtual assistants uh, go through the, 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 um, the conversations, they make follow-ups and so on. <clears throat> So it's uh, it's super comfortable actually. I, I definitely feel the pain of uh, of my way of doing things right now because I have a, I have someone um, uh, a virtual assistant to contact people one by one on Twitter. So my DM are totally bloated by message, uh, and in between they have the conversation with people like you. And each time I was like thinking, I, I had to think about you, about the podcast. I, oh, I have to talk back to Luca and I forgot for days. So I go back and I scroll, scroll, scroll in the DM to find back the mm. conversation. So yes. yeah, I definitely feel the pain of that. Yes. Uh, uh, one one more question. feature that I, I forgot to mention is that you have a tagging system. So you can oh. add tags to your conversations and then filter your conversations based on your tags. So for instance, if I'm an, an interviewer, you can tag me with interviewer and then later on filter all their conversations with that tag. So you can easily find find a conversation back later. Yeah, that's very cool. What I was uh, uh, thinking to ask you is like how, what, like why did you made a different product? <laughs> Why that, that's a good that's a very good question it's something I, I thought about a lot in, in the past um, so at the end I decided to create a different product because I think that it's easier to um, communicate the value proposition uh, for the two products separately so yeah. one is for uh, grow your business using Twitter DMs the other one is improve your sales and nurture your conversations and so on. So I thought it was easier to, to make them se separate. And uh, the extra challenge is that you need to do double marketing because there are two different products. And oh, this yeah. is a big challenge. But I thought that anyway, in the future, I'm using the same technological stack. So in the future, I see that it's impossible to grow inboxes alone. I can always merge them together. 
talking about technology stack, uh, you say you were a software engineer. What what is your specialty in in your nine to five? You're like a front-end, yeah. back-end? Um, I'm a full-stack, but I spent most of my time working on the front-end. Okay. So that that's my speciality, let's say. Uh, yeah, the stack is very, is very, very interesting because I found that by using Next.js, which is a framework, let's say, uh, it's not really a framework, but it's a very powerful tool to create full-stack applications with React. And Versal services, it's for yeah. me, it's the perfect uh, setup to create new products because you don't have to think about infrastructure and maintenance and so on. It's delegated to them. You pay um, monthly, of course, uh, but it's a reasonable amount of money. It's around yeah. $20 per month, I think. And it's very effective and I'm super productive. So. It's the perfect stack for me. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally resonate with this idea. I, I don't have uh, servers since, I don't know, two or three years. But lately, it's become very easier and easier. You can do everything in serverless. And it's very easy to code. You don't have to, to redo the wheel to have something working very well. What I find a bit difficult sometimes is like if you have if you need in your product a kind of a background job, like staying up uh, on Versel and stuff like that, it's a bit harder to manage. You have to rethink a bit about how you build the product. Yes. Um, but uh, but yeah, otherwise, I think that's that's an amazing way to to build a product and to do it alone. You don't need a, a team of thousands of engineers to just do a product who do a lot of things. So that's uh, that's very good for me. I use a uh, Superbase mainly for everything. <laughs> so for the cloud function, for the beta- database, for the yeah. real time, and uh, and the hosting is on NetLifeFi because I was on Vercel before, but it wasn't working well uh, because I I'm not using React. I'm using Vue, JS, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was not so it wasn't so much optimized. So I switched to NetLifeFi at all points. Yes, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, and and they had, I think, more more freedom on the cloud function than uh, Vercel at the time I did the switch. Now maybe it's better. I saw today they're doing the cron, uh, they release the cron methods on on Vercel and so on. So it will they get stronger over time. Yes. Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, that's uh, I think for me technology it's a very interesting point because like. When you come from a developer perspective, at the beginning, you're more like uh, trying to get the last trendy things, the last uh, beautiful, uh, shiny object. And then when you are become a maker with more experiments, you tend to make things as simple as possible and reliable as possible. So I'm not like using the last trend. Sometimes, yes, because the technology pushed me to, like, for example, Superbase used Deno.js for the cloud function. So I have used Deno, which is basically Node.js uh, with uh, mm-hmm. a bit more modern approach, but it's still the same. But otherwise, I'm not uh, using any fancy stuff, uh, like a very basic uh, basic approach. I don't know for you. Yeah, um, I mean, I totally agree. So at the beginning, for instance, for the first product I built, I, uh, my mind- mindset was, okay, if it, this product is going to fail, I have learned something about the 
technological stack, right? So I used a lot of new new things, especially on, on AWS. And I think that this is not the right approach. So we should optimize for uh, speed uh, of delivery and uh, the most comfortable and known technology that you have uh, because you need to fail fast. So uh, yeah. you need to get the feedback from the market if there is demand or not, if the, the idea is good or not. So ideally, you should even avoid implementing anything. So you should validate your product by talking to people, making waiting lists, uh, landing page, and that's it. Uh, you should even avoid to implement anything. But if you really want to implement something, use what you know uh, you know the best. Uh, so if it is PHP, do it in PHP. You don't need to use Node.js or whatever brilliant framework is out in the market. You need yeah. to, to ship very fast. Yeah, definitely. Like for me, like I, I, I use Node.js and uh, JavaScript uh, like view since I uh, was working in company. So that's the, the stack I have keep because it looks very simple to me. But for example, I'm building mobile apps and I could have uh, tried to follow the trend uh, to go to React Native or even in front, I could have go to React Native. But it doesn't like first, I don't like much React. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> why it doesn't look good to me. And plus, like I felt like uh, what's the point? What's the point of changing for the most trendy things while mine work pretty well? So same for uh, mobile apps like. I do apps in JavaScript and then it works pretty good. And, and that's it. Like you don't need to do the trendiest things. You need to do things that work. Like uh, you, you need to have time to focus on what bring value to your client. If you focus on learning a new tech, then your objective is not making a successful product. And that's okay, but don't fool yourself <laughs> with the, this different yeah. approach. That's true. That there's a nice, a nice story is that uh, Slack, uh, when they did the, the IPO, so they were listed on the stock, stock exchange, uh, yeah. they were still using jQuery uh, in their code base. You know, jQuery is this uh, yeah, old JS JavaScript library that was really used in so many websites at that time. Uh, but when they did the IPO, jQuery was not a thing anymore. It was replaced, you know, by React, Vue, yeah. and so on. They did an IPO because the technology doesn't matter. You need to have users, happy customers, and paying users. This is what matters the most, right? Yeah. I think one of the most, uh, like, uh, big realization for me was even you can have a product totally broken and slow as fuck and whatever. Like, uh, I don't know if you have used Notion, but Notion is a fast product since a year, uh, two max. But before it was super slow to load. It was like uh, an eternity, but it was solving a real pain of people. Like taking notes was not like uh, very convenient and not enough open to build it as you want. Uh, so that was solving a real, solving a real pain and people were using it anyway. And that's same for my product. I got this realization, like the uh, register path was broken for weeks and I still got people like complaining about, hey, I need to register to your product. So they couldn't even try it, but they knew the value proposition was important to them and they were contacting me like, hey, I cannot register. So I was uh, fixing the, the account by end until I found the, the bug. But that's something like you blow your mind when you're like, okay, so I don't 
need to have like a beautiful design. I don't need to have the things like super fast uh, with the best uh, coding practice and whatever. You just need something solve a real problem. That's the first step. Then you're going to improve over time. It's okay. Yes, yes, absolutely true. So let's go to my to my uh, question now. Do you have another product in uh, you want to build in the future? I have uh, two or three ideas of problems to solve, uh, but I need to to put them in a yeah in, in a box in post at the moment because I definitely don't have bandwidth to work on them. And moreover, now I want to focus on growing Highboy as much as I yeah. can. Um, so all my effort is, is focused on, on growing Highboy. Also because I have a good signal from, from the market, not only from the users and the MRR, which is growing steadily with my marketing effort, which is constant, is always the same. But there are also uh, a lot of competitors um, popping up um, recently, which is a good signal for me because it means that there is a market um, yeah. there are other entrepreneurs interested in solving this problem, problem and they are growing as well. So, um, of course, there's more competition, but it's also a good signal for me. It means that I can grow the product much more. Okay, yeah, makes sense, makes sense. Um, do you have something you wish someone has told you before starting your indie maker journey? <laughs> At the beginning, yes. So, I focus on distribution first. Uh, absolutely, this one is uh, is key. Um, <clears throat> the second one is to how to validate uh, an idea effectively. So I think I think my my journey is interesting because first product two years building in the dark. Second product uh, I launched really an MVP, and I did build in public, which is good, yeah. but it's still not optimal. The third product. I did a pre-launch, which is probably even better, right? So I did a landing yeah. page with the, um, describing the features and the value proposition. And at the end of the page, there was just a buy lifetime access to this product. You can't try it right now, <laughs> but you can purchase the um, a lifetime access. And um, I talked about inboxes for a week uh, on Twitter, so I was posting daily something related to that, and it was interesting because I was able to sell 20 licenses in the first week, and uh, around 50 licenses in total over two months. So for me, it was a good signal that there was yeah. a, a demand for this kind of product, and so I completed the development of of the product, and then mid mid December. I launched it public publicly, um, and I think that it's a good it's a good way of um, validating an idea, right? Because the strongest validation you can have from the the users is when they pay for your product, and with this technique, you are able to validate that. So people purchasing the the lifetime deal of the product is a is a good validation, in my opinion. Oh yeah, definitely, definitely. The money is the only uh, good proof. Intention, uh, like saying, yeah, I would love to buy it when it's ready. It's like, no, zero. Like yes. yeah, money is the real uh, deal. If you got money, that's a very good sign now. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. 
you have a furry coat, something like very like uh, touching you in your indie market journey? Yes, I have one. Uh, it's not from an indie hacker, but I think it's uh, it's nice. It is kind of uh, if you're not embarrassed by your MVP, you launched too late. Oh yeah, <laughs> which Agreed. is which is nice. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely a good one. I agree. That's that's something like uh, you can see like uh, this pattern with um, with makers. Um, it's very easy to to see like uh, they are like oh no no but I, I, like two more days I will add that and two more days and and six months later you talk with them and they still two more days. <laughs> like, yes. You know you'd <laughs> <laughs> launch it even if it is buggy or there's something missing. You need to yeah. get feedback. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's that's crazy, and and that's very uh, easy pattern you can see on people. Or the same guy, uh, there are also the guy who tell you like, yeah, but uh, I don't want to talk much about my idea, blah blah blah. Like, yeah. mm -hmm. Quite good. <laughs> <laughs> I understand. <laughs> it's fine. You will go come back in few months and say talk about your idea first to see if you're not uh, like launching stupid things <laughs> instead yeah, of doing it for you. Exactly. There's another another mistake. So I don't know if it is a quote or not, but uh, it's pretty common to say that idea ideas are worth nothing, are zero, right? Uh, it's no. just an idea. <laughs> if you don't if you don't work on it or you don't validate it and so on, so feel free to talk about it. Uh. <laughs> I I think I think I got a good one uh, to phrase. Uh, I think we can say. Your idea has more chance to be stupid than to be stolen. <laughs> That's a good one. I like it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. That's my feeling. I will be the. It will be the title of the episode. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, so one last question uh, for me: uh, Who I should invite after you in this podcast? And uh, and then we're good. Yes. Um, so there there is one one person on the Twitter uh, sphere that is really doing brilliantly, and his name is Lilian of uh, Sidebird. Oh, yeah. So his product is Sidebird. So I, I'm pretty sure you know him. Yeah, yeah. And Mark um, told me to to get Lilian as well, so we're gonna. Plan okay, that. okay. So uh, would be interested in listening to an interview to Lilian. Yes. Okay, cool. Let's do that. Amazing. <laughs> so last question for you: Where we send people uh, if they want more info about what you're doing? Yes, just follow me on uh, on Twitter. Um, you can look for for my name on Twitter. Um, it's a little bit dif difficult to pronounce it for foreign people, but it's Luca Restagno is the right Italian pronunciation. Uh, yeah. uh, and the handle is even more difficult. So uh, look into the oh, notes. How you, oh, you say it? I, I have it on right now because it will be on the description of, of the episode for people to get easier than uh, try to, <laughs> to guess. <laughs> Thank you. But how you pronounce your handle, Twitter handle? Uh, the handle is a, is a very old um, Japanese. Uh, it's a Japanese name. It's uh, okay. Ikoichi, oh. something like that. Ikoichi. Yeah. And because what does I, it mean? I have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> as I said, um, 
I created my Twitter account in, in 2009. And uh, when I was a teenager, uh, my nickname was, was always this one. So it's still the, the, the nickname that I was using on uh, IRC, okay. you know, those messaging platforms used ages, ages ago. <laughs> so you have lost the meaning of this. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Japanese man, uh, name. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. <laughs> Thanks a lot uh, for your time. It was uh, cool to have you on the podcast. Thank you for having me, Martin. It was a pleasure talking to you. Cool. Um, if our listener uh, did enjoy uh, the podcast, if you who listen right now, uh, you enjoy the podcast, I recommend you to send a tiny message to Luca in DM because he has a very good tool. He will answer you for sure. And and that's very really nice uh, of you. If you do that, you can give us feedbacks, uh, you like it or not. Uh, especially for me, you can tell me how I can be a better interviewer, have a better setup, light, uh, whatever, mics. Whatever you feel it's uh, it's shitty or can be improved, you can tell me and I will listen. So thanks for that and see you next week. Bye-bye.